The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 65 for August 14th, 2006. I chat with tabs. Well, a lot of you emailed me and asked for that, so there it is for you. <clears throat> Hi, John. I'm Dave Hamilton. Who are you? Um, I'm John Braun. There you uh, go. Steve talked about that, I think. I believe he did. Everybody tells me that he did. I still haven't had an opportunity to watch the WWDC stream, but I do intend to. Neither. Many, many of you have emailed me to tell me that my... My prayers had been answered and that I chat with tabs is a reality natively in Panther. Of course, it's a whole lot less uh, exciting now that I've been using Chax yeah. for months. Chax is great. Gives you I chat with tabs yeah. and many, many other things. But uh, yeah, the listeners are all commenting saying, did you watch that? Right. Because like you were talking about stuff and like, uh, no, I and the answer is no, I didn't watch it. I yeah, I, read I didn't Brian's, either, you know, yeah. Yeah, we got the reporting, TMO reporting. But uh, I read I read Brian's commentary, and he, uh, despite the fact that he was actually even he didn't use iChat until Chax was out because he was addicted to chat to tabs, and it didn't it, it went right over his head too while he was uh, while he was sitting there watching the thing. So uh-huh. there you go. Uh, so we are here with a relatively normal show. We've got a little bit of a rata to go through at some point. Our continuing conversations on uh, TiVo and, and that sort of thing. And we've got a whole lot of new stuff. So you know what? Let's just dive right in on the uh, on the new stuff, which, which actually comes apparently in pairs. Hi, my name is uh, David Smiley from Somerville, Mass. Um, I have a DVD that is uh, not copy protected. It has content of home videos that I had a uh, um, some business encoded onto uh, DVD for me, and I'm trying to basically rip the content from the DVD onto my computer and have it encoded in something nice like H.264 or MPEG4. Um, and when I tried to do this using a tool called I think it's Diva, um, it I could tell I could see some deinterlacing going on, and w- and it was really annoying. Now, when I use DVD player to look at the video, I don't see that at all. I, as I look very carefully at the different frames, I see I might see some blurring or whatever, but I definitely do not see interlacing. But when I when I use the uh, Diva and I use um, some MPEG4, um, I, I can use QuickTime to export to H.264. Um, it, I, I see the interlacing there, and it's frustrating. And um, I'm just trying to figure out how I can best get that uh, MPEG-2 data off of DVD into H.264 without any interlacing artifacts. Uh, Thanks. Bye. All right. Uh, This is, of course, something that you uh, shouldn't be able to do with copy-protected DVDs, but like David said, he's using DVDs that are basically home movies. I I think he had a production house make them. But nonetheless, a piece of software called Handbrake should solve all the problems. Have you used Handbrake, John? Um, no. Okay. I had another thought. All right. Well, Handbrake is a lovely piece of software that will take a DVD and it actually will, will rip the stuff off of protected or unprotected DVDs. It does not care. Uh, and convert it to just about any format that you like. Uh, H.264 certainly is, is one of the options. There's a couple of presets in there for high quality, low quality, and also iPod quality and that sort of thing so that you can 
pull things off and get exactly what you need for uh, for whatever it is that you're doing. So, David, definitely check out Handbrake. Of course, we'll put uh, put a link in the show notes, as we always do. And uh, and that, okay. should, that should do it for uh, you. I was wondering if either QuickTime or probably QuickTime Pro to do an export or like Final Cut or something like that would have a, a conversion... Uh, whether it would make sense to use one of those things. Well, yeah, but he he said he was using QuickTime and and not getting uh, not getting a, a good uh, a good read out of it. But you're right; it would be QuickTime Pro would would be the thing that would do it. But I don't okay. I don't know if QuickTime Pro will rip a DVD. I I don't think so. Well, if he's talking about a yeah, not the DVD itself because that has a specific structure. But I was just wondering about converting the video. If uh, I don't think QuickTime will read the VOB files on a DVD. I really don't. It certainly won't play them. Um, so, you know, so, uh, yeah, I use other things for doing yeah. DVD stuff. But what do you we'll use? <laughs> um, well, this is for backing up. Uh, oh, what is it? Was it Mac the Ripper or something? Mac like the that. Ripper. This is for this is for things I own and I want to put on a hard drive. So it's still well, let, okay. Let's get to okay? let's get to let's get to Wayne's question here. And uh, yes. hey, John and Dave, uh, my name's Wayne. I'm a big uh, fan, and I had a question for you. I love the podcast and thought it might be up your alley. I'm wanting to back up my DVD collection. I have two kids under the age of 10. They both seem to be in heated competition with me to see if they can destroy my DVDs faster than I can buy them. Their record is to destroy DVD in less than two hours from its purchase as a sideline. I have no nefarious reasons other than avoiding repurchasing repetitive DVDs. Since my collection is in the thousands, I would like to do this quickly. Back in my dark past, when I used Windows, I used to use uh, it used to be simple to rip DVDs straight into ISO files that you could then play easily and store and move around to some media players. As far as I can see, the only option is to use a program like Fast DVD Copy or Mac the Ripper to rip the disc, and then use a program like Toast to burn what they call a .toast file. It gets gray as to whether or not I could just change the .toast file into an ISO file. And by merely renaming it, it would uh, behave like an ISO file. I uh, have recently bought the G-Play from G-Technologies. And uh, unfortunately, it won't play my MP4 files that I formatted for my video iPod. And I get really good resolution from the video iPod. But with only 60 gig, I wanted the extra 100 gig to be able to put the movies somewhere where the kids could easily get to them. And it's menu-driven and uh, remote and all that good stuff. So. Uh, there has got to be a better way to rip ISO files onto the Mac. If there is, I'd sure appreciate any help. Uh, I'll give a brief pause here and let you... I think he's going to go into his email address, so we'll uh, mm-hmm. we'll simply answer your question here, Wayne. So, uh, like like you were saying, John, you use Mac the Ripper, and, and tell tell everybody a little bit about what Mac the Ripper does, because both you and Wayne were using it. Um, well, I think in this case, really what it was doing, it was just basically pulling and, uh, I think, stripping off. Uh, I think it made a a nice uh, version that you could play without... Um, I'm not sure if, if you had to have the disc in or not. Um, depending... Uh, I've used a couple of utilities. Some required in there to pull the... Because uh, I guess there's some handy little keys on there, and I guess others go a little further. But yeah, what, um, what Mac the Ripper does is it will take... It'll rip, right? It'll take the contents of the DVD and transfer them to your hard drive. The one thing that it does is it pulls off the macrovision protection, which is the thing that typically lets you mm. prevents you from copying a DVD. So it will, if macrovision protection is there and region encoding too, it'll it'll bypass both of those and put it on your drive. Now, you know, for David's purposes before, 
he wanted to go to an MPEG file. That Mac the Ripper will not do. Mac the Ripper simply takes an image of the DVD, right, and puts it on your hard drive. Handbrake will not do that, but it will put it, it will convert it into a movie. So for Wayne's purposes, Mac the Ripper's the first thing, but like Wayne pointed out, it simply leaves you with a, a, a folder that looks just like the DVD. Now, you can tell Mac the Ripper to pull the whole DVD or just the main feature so you can skip all the... Uh, and, and that's actually a, something that, that we do here with our movies is we... Because I'm in the same boat. Two kids under 10. And uh, so we take Mac the Ripper and rip only the movie portion out, leaving all the menus and all that extra junk aside. And then we can burn it to DVD and that way, in the car, there's no pl- press play and, you know, navigate through the menus. You just put the movie in and bam, it's going. So, uh, but that that aside, you're left with this folder that, like you said, you can't burn directly to a disc. And the trick is, and John and I went through some of this before the show. We actually went through a lot of this. We looked to find that DVDs are burned in what's called the UDF format. And there's there's two sizes to a DVD, a 4.7 gig or, or what, single... Uh, uh, Single layer, single layer, single layer. Yes. Thank you. Uh, and then, uh, and then there's the eight point four, eight point seven dual layer DVDs. And those uh, it, so older Macs will only burn the single layer DVDs, while newer Macs, some newer Macs, will burn dual layer. And you can look in your, um, if you look in your Apple system profiler, it will tell you if you look under disk burning. I believe it says uh, DL in a write strategies, and that will uh, that'll tell you if, if it can do it or not. If you don't see DL there, your drive doesn't support it. Now, why does this matter, you ask? Because when you pull a DVD, when you pull data off of a DVD, if it's bigger, most DVDs that you get from the store are the 8-plus gigabyte DVDs. Can't turn around and burn that directly to a... 4.7 gig DVD because there's simply not enough room. Now, sometimes the feature is small enough to fit, but most of the time it's not. So you need to use a piece of software like DVD to 1X or Fast DVD Copy, like Wayne mentioned, to convert it down. But even then, you're still stuck with this folder that you can't burn. Some of these, most of these software packages actually will turn it into an image that you can then burn with disk copy. But if you if you have a dual layer drive and you just want to pull it off with Mac the Ripper, there is a piece of software that uh, there's two pieces of software actually that John and I found before. One of them was called DVD Imager, uh, which is free and will do exactly this and pretty much only this, turning uh, the video fo- folder into a, an image that can be burned to a DVD and then played in a player. And then another piece of software called FFmpeg, which we'll also put in the show notes, that uh, that that does that and a whole lot more so those are your options and uh i think that's that of course there there is the one big big thing that that wayne mentioned and that is toast if you want to make this stuff easy use toast because it will convert it down and burn it to a dvd directly yes it's not free but depending on how often you're doing this toast may be uh maybe the best bet for you it still won't strip all the the data off of a protected dvd but like i said mac the ripper will do that did i get it all john you got it. Did I really? Most of it, I think. All right, good. <laughs> and the new version of Toast, Toast 7, will do dual layer. I've, I've experimented with that in the house, and it, it, it's worked fine. One thing I'll say about dual layer, it's, it, which is true of any other type of burnable media, you get what you pay for. Do we need to do it this way? You get what you pay for. <laughs> because uh, 
we bought some media that was just pure crap. It was cheap, you know, a bucket disc or something, but or less than the bucket disc. But and I think all, and uh, as far as I know, all optical media will deteriorate over time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Do, I we, think, do we know what the was... do we know what the half life is of a uh, of a, no, a CDR? Uh, CDRs, I don't know. I think tens of years. So I don't okay, know it's decades. Twenty, thirty, uh, decades. Okay. As far as I know, CDRWs I think are less because there's usually uh, less. Uh, yeah, just less stability. Yeah, but yeah. Who, who would have thought? So put on a hard drive or make a backup or uh, yeah. speaking of backups or or whatever we're speaking of next. <laughs> Uh, we'll go through some errata. Last week we talked about a couple of things. Um, the first was that I mentioned Superclock, which I said was uh, from OS 9. Really, it was from OS 6, or System 6 as it was called in those days, and then was included by Apple into OS 7. So that was the uh, that was the errata on that. And then there was another thing about Batch Get Info. This, this gets very oh, interesting. Oh, yes. So... You want to take it, John? Our, our listeners. I mean, I could, I could take it. It's basically, so we were, so the statement both Dave and I made, which we thought was correct, was that you know when you highlight something um, in the Finder, and you say get info, if you highlight a thousand things, you will get a thousand windows. And both Dave and I, unless we're starting to both have a, you know, mutual hallucination, both remember this happening it in a prior it version. It wouldn't be the first time, John. And I, <laughs> and I guess because it so scarred us, we both. Never did it again. That's right. Or, nor had a reason to. And then people started writing into both of us. Um, thank you so much for writing us. Um, you know, you you, you can't. You, writing is one option, but you can call us too. Right. Yeah, but they didn't call us. 206 666 geek. It would be the way to do it. But uh, so we, we've been going back and forth with Colin here because Colin d- discovered that, that there seems to be this 10, uh, 10 item barrier. So if you select 10 or less items, in Tiger, you get a separate window for each one, 11 or more, and it's a single window used for all. Of course, you can, can, you can switch this behavior by holding down the option key either way. Toggles it back and forth. However, in Panther, it seems to be two or more items gets you the all-in-one window. Really? Yes. Yeah, you know I prefer the other though. Though what's kind of aggravating, and I haven't tried all the key combos yet because yeah, other people told us hold down um, Apple Command Command. Yeah. yeah, we'll call it Command, and that will also invoke a batch. No viewer. option, so, option. Because I'm sorry, got option. Apple down. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So option. Yeah. So option Command I will do so, and it says bring up. I think Inspector Window and Show Inspector is what show it says. Inspector. Yep. yep. Which is that, I guess, what they call that summary window, which is like, okay. <laughs> you want to call it inspector? Sure. Right. Um, but I couldn't find a way. Say you picked 20 items and then wanted to view individual windows. I think. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can second guess them or if you can no, like unoption them. I think, the, you know I, think the, I think the option key would do exactly that. And I will, uh, I'll test it here for you, John. Okay. I was fiddling around with it later today, and uh, as far as I can tell, from I, I talked to a few. No, of our, it won't. Option key will not toggle that behavior. Yeah. yeah. So I was messing with that. So if it's not what you want, then that's kind of annoying. But the nice yeah. thing I think is that it sounds like pretty reasonable assumption that if you're highlighting ten things, you don't want to have ten windows. But right. who knows? But they tuned it. I, two was probably a bit too small. Like yeah. In, uh, yeah. 
Panther. So uh, that gives a, and I check with some of our, uh, you know, we still have some students at work and, and uh, they're all Windows jockeys and they're not aware of a way to uh, change the behavior at all in Windows. If you highlight multiple things, you get a summary window always. So, huh. But there could be a way to get around that. I, I, I was starting to look through, and uh, I think we're doing an upcoming show on this, on all these mysterious key combinations that do sometimes useful things. <laughs> <laughs> Though it is kind of fun on the Mac because... It, oh, I was going to let Dusty talk, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll let Dusty... No, I was just saying it's kind of fun on the Mac because usually most of the apps, you know, if you hold down a modifier key and there's a menu up, it'll show you in real time what's going to happen. And I noticed that also... With the uh, contextual menu, when yep. I was fiddling around trying to find maybe a hidden or undocumented way of doing this, so uh, so so that's good behavior. That it kind of makes it the keyboard control. I think is still not quite up to par, though it's better. Though we talked about that, but yeah, Dusty, yeah, let let Dusty speak. Hi, Dave and John. This is Dusty from York, Pennsylvania. Uh, I have a bunch of questions for you guys. Uh, I love the show, though it, it's awesome. Um. I wanted to yeah. let you know what kind of system I'm running. I have a Power Mac G5 2.7 um, with 2.5 gigs of RAM and the stock 250-gig hard drive that came with it. What I'd like to know is, is if you could explain how the inside actually works. I mean, you know, the operating system came as like 4 gigs. I have 2.5 gigs. Does it all get dumped into there? What goes into the L2 cache on the chip? Um, and, and that kind of stuff. The reason why I'm asking this is because I'm thinking of buying another hard drive or adding more RAM because I'm doing a lot of stuff with iMovie and iDVD. And since I heard you say that you upgraded your MacBook Pro from the 54 to the 72 because of the speed bump, I was thinking of upgrading my hard drive to a 10,000 spin hard drive, and would I see any speed increase um, with my operating system. So anything that you could do would be a great help. Uh, my email. Oh, we'll, we'll stop it right there because, wow, that's yeah. a lot of questions. Okay, so let's start with his first question, which was he's got, uh, he knows that Tiger is about 4 gigs, the OS is about 4 gigs, and does that load into his 2.5 gigs of RAM? How does that work? So that, that we'll talk about that first. You want to take it, John, or, or should I just keep on rolling here? Um, now, when you're saying that, you're saying what the size of the system folder? Well, the Tiger DVD, right? I think he, I think he, oh, he just right, assumed. Right. So Tiger is, let's say, for the sake of argument, Tiger's four gigs, right? Maybe it's a little bigger, maybe it's a little okay, smaller. Okay. He wants to know how that fits into his two and a half gigs of RAM, <laughs> which, which is, which basically shows a. a, a a need to understand the fundamentals here. What what happens is the OS is a whole lot of different components. Many of them you'll never use. Most of them you won't use most of the time. And there's only a very small part that that's always used: the kernel and uh, and you know the various extensions for networking and of course drawing windows and stuff. It, it's a lot, but as compared to the 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 grand sum total, it's not that not not everything. So yeah, when the I was system, just looking, yeah. the uh, system folder is one point. Eight gigs on your just, machine. Okay, okay. But go on, please. So, it, the OS loads what it needs and and all the services that it needs, and then leaves the rest of your RAM available for other apps. And and I know we've talked about it before, but menu meters is a a great tool and a great way to 
to really see what's going on with your system. But you can also do it with the activity monitor. And if you go to act, to system memory, yep. you'll see uh, a couple of different things. And we won't go too deep here because uh, we've done it in the past. But you've got wired, active, inactive, and then free uh, shown in the activity monitor. And really free and inactive are... And this is, a, again, a generalization, but if you add together free and inactive, that will show how much of your RAM is available to be used by new things. Inactive means that something was loaded into it at one point, and it simply hasn't been flushed out because it didn't need to be. Um, mm-hmm. If you see free RAM getting real low, below like 50 megs, then it means that you're probably hitting a wall. Uh, but but again, maybe not really looking at the size of your swap files is, is the way to do that. And menu meters is by far and away the easiest way to check that. So I will, we won't go into all the other ways of doing it. But uh, no, the whole OS does not load into RAM all at once. It as it as it needs things, it loads them into RAM. And then if it doesn't need it anymore, it simply marks it as I don't need this anymore. And that moves it into active inactive RAM. Rather, it moves from active to inactive. Once it's in inactive, it, it stays there until something needs that space. If it doesn't need the space, it, it leaves it. It's a cache, if you will. And then if that same thing needs to be used again, well, it doesn't need to be loaded from the disk. It's just sitting there idle, ready to go. Did I get that close to right, John? You see any yeah, flaws in my logic there? there? Okay. Um, and I could mention um, another thing. Activity monitor mm-hmm. uh, tells you a few things, uh, including if you just want to get a general feel for how much memory everybody wants, yeah. Um, you'll see the process list if you do the, uh, you know, that particular window. Which one is it here? Yes, the uh, activity monitor one. window. Yeah, activity monitor window, and uh, so you see real memory, virtual memory, and that gives you a, a feel for uh, for how much it needs. But, uh, real yeah, memory. Real memory is showing you how much actual physical RAM a piece of software is using, and that's just on just, on your chips. On your chips, exactly. Thank you, John. Yes. Yeah. So so. And I think the question was regarding RAM. Yeah, it was. It was. He wanted to know if his OS loaded all into RAM, and it doesn't. So no, uh, no, not all of it. I mean, it, some of it does, but not the not the whole thing at once. Okay. So his second question was level two cache. What loads into level two cache? What programs load there? You want to take this one, John? I know you've done some of this stuff. Um, level two cache. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, level level two cache is on his processors, right? I mean, that's or, yeah. I mean, being on the processor, I, I wouldn't think it's it's very uh, data specific. So anything that you know runs fairly on a fairly regular basis is going to be uh, sitting there. As far as the algorithms, do you know? I mean, I, well, I believe the le- all I know the- is bigger is better, and uh, and you know again things that that uh, the processor determines uh, you know are run often go in there. I, I, yeah, I think it. I think the, the way I understand the level two cache, and please, if we get this wrong, let us know. But believe what it does is it takes you know into the processor comes a set of instructions right instructions and then the processor crunches the instructions and generates a result everything the instructions and the result is then stored in level two cache so if you've got the same set of instructions being called many many times over the processor doesn't have to do anything because it can simply tap oh it says oh look i already know the answer to that i don't need to figure it out and it just hands it off without having to run through the processor can make things very very efficient especially with stuff that's happening repetitively so uh that that's what the level two cache is it doesn't load it, it certainly doesn't load, you know, mail or, or you know, BB edit or anything like that into it. it it's just for instructions. But, ah, 
I have more. Unless you have go. more. Go. No, go. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was just poking around here online. So so this is one where, you know, we'll, we'll help you do the research. But uh, um, level, two is se- level two is separate from the processor. Level one is the cache on the processor. From okay. what I can see the level two is usually bigger and slower, but it's nice to have it. So, so rather than getting things from memory, if it's... Uh, so I guess level one cache is the first place and the fastest. On, on the chip, right. On the PowerPC or other chip. Level two is outside, and that's better. And then if it's not there, oh well. So um, so, so I would say, yeah, I mean, the bigger <laughs> any one of them is. Uh, right. Not just for a processor, but for a hard drive as well, which I think was a, another question. Cause that, are, and that was the next question, was should he, should he add wow. more RAM to his machine, or should he add a bigger hard drive? Now. Yes. Um, I mean, this I know. I mean, if you look at the relative speed of the two mediums, you definitely would want to be pulling things from RAM versus a hard drive. Right. So they're catching up. Yeah. So if I had to get one or the other, I, I, I would get more RAM. For, yeah, for what he's doing, unless he's actually run out of hard drive space. And if you've run out of hard drive space, then, well, you need more space. But if you're looking to speed up the machine, John, you, I mean, that... You couldn't have hit the nail on the head any better. It's that's exactly yeah. get more RAM. It, the more and RAM you have, the this. less it has to use the hard drive. So you know, yeah. I still remember. Now it's coming back to me. You know, it, it comes back to us. But I think you did this too. Is that you could get for some of the? Uh, I think especially the uh, power computing clones. Yeah. You could actually buy a larger level two cache if you wanted to. They offer that option, and I guess it. And I guess various vendors, I mean, not so much Apple, I don't think, um, you know, will let you fiddle and tweak your machine and add more level two. But I distinctly remember one of those machines, I actually bought the level two cache speed up because it, it just made the end of all my friends. And, oh, no, but <laughs> it sped it up a little bit. Hello? <laughs> all right. So definitely RAM is better than uh, hard drive at speeding up the system for what he's doing there. No question. Now, if you want to get it faster, if you want to get a hard drive, he mentioned that there's, you know, obviously uh, 7,200 RPM and, and 10,000 and 10, RPM drives. Of course, they're faster than 5,400 and 4,800 and, and, and so on down the line. Uh, so it, you have that metric. That's right. Um, and the speed of the drive, it, it, it's the speed at which the drive spins. So we're talking about 10,000 RPMs uh, or 7,200 right. or, or whatever. And generally, faster is better. I would say. I would, I would agree. Yeah. It. It. Again, the question always is: Yes, faster is better, but are you going to notice it? And depending on how much data you're reading and writing to that drive all the time, if you're, you know, if your computer's a server, like the like the web server that that runs MacObserver.com, that's got a ten thousand RPM drive in it. It's got a couple of them actually. Um, and and it makes a huge difference because there's constantly things being written, read, and you know all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. It, on your machine, is 72 to 10 going to make a huge difference? Not, probably not. But again, if you're moving big files around, yeah, it can. It certainly can. Yeah. You know, going with a, a big, fast but, SATA drive, not so bad. But all in all, so yeah, SATA or, or I don't know, I still say serial ATA. <laughs> I don't know if I'm cool enough to say SATA, but you got that. You have another thing which uh, I usually see come up, but it's the uh, access speed, which is the speed at which the uh, head can go from one track to the other. And I think that's in the singles of milliseconds now. I don't think that's uh, gotten smaller than that, right? Are you with me? I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't think it's. I mean, I recall eight or five is is a good figure, and then the cache on the drive too, and the, it's kind of like the cache we were talking about before. 
level two cash, but you know most drives uh, from what I've seen only have one cash. And again, the bigger, the better. I've I've seen these weird combos, like especially the Maxters, for example, they would have you know slow speeds and uh, you know you would get different drives that, that hit different price points like some will be very large but they would have slow cash and low rpms and the other way around so you got to look at the combo of that and you'll pay for it if you want yeah. all of them to be the higher end features yeah. or you know do a you know a raid deal if you want the the speed yeah uh, that's right and you can go the back striping to our, i guess right a raid showed it yeah to talk about that that's right yeah Absolutely. Talked about that. So, uh, but it, you know, if you can afford both, I mean, get more RAM and another hard drive. Stimulate the yeah, economy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Head us into the fourth, fourth quarter with some fervor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll visit. Uh, we'll visit our our, our TiVo slash Vonage slash VoIP conversation because Tim had an excellent perspective on this. Hey guys, Tim here from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I'm sure you're going to get lots of calls about this one, but in your last show, number 64, you guys responded to somebody having TiVo issues over their uh, Vonage voice over IP telephone. Well, I have this set up, except I don't have Vonage. I have ATT call Vantage, but uh, the solution works great. In fact, I don't even know what the voice quality is like because I never use my call Vantage line for voice communications. I always use it. I only use it for three devices, all of which are, all of which have uh, uh, modems in them. I've got a fax machine, which works great. I've got a little, a little uh, remote access key because I'm a real estate agent that lets me get into people's houses. Well, that thing updates daily over my uh, voice over IP line and the TiVo. Everything seems to work. Uh, as far as helping out your caller from the last show, a couple of things I would look at. The first thing I would check is if the guy has a, a DSL connection, he might have a DSL filter installed on the entire house at the demarcation point, which is where the phone line comes into the house and uh, gets distributed off to all the jacks. That might cause a problem if he's using his existing phone infrastructure, the phone line in his house, plugged into the back of his Vonage box. Uh, the next thing I would try, if that doesn't, if that's not it, I would try uh, uh, switching the phone number on my TiVo. That, the TiVo should have a list of numbers built into it that you can, and kind of like AOL, you know, where you pick the best line. It doesn't always get it, so that might be a problem. And uh, the third thing I would try is call Vantage because it seems to work really well for me. Anyway, love the show, and uh, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, that, uh, I, I believe, it, with other folks that I know that have been through all this, the uh, the TiVo answer, it simply... If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, uh, or the Vonage answer, rather. So call Vantage, then. who knows? They might, I guess they, they assemble their packets differently than uh, than the Vonage and, and various other VOIP folks. So who knows? I thought it would all be done the same way using SIP, but uh, I guess not. Oh, no. Guess not. Oh, no. And Tim, of course, <coughs> sent that in to, well, actually, he just emailed this voice comment in, but you can do it much easier, much more Easily than Tim. 206-666-GEEK is the way to get your uh, your stuff in. Do we have yeah. time for more? We do have time for more. You know, I've had this thing on here from Jeremy for a while, and uh, I wanted to talk about? through it. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've had, this, we've had this That's on the agenda for, one. for about a month. Yeah, 
Jeremy writes, I have this weird thing happening to my trash folder where every time I reboot or turn on my computer and I know the trash folder is empty, there will be a recovered files folder inside. Now I can empty it in both the normal and secure zero the space way, but it will always have this folder in it. I know it's just a PNG file, which is a green bar of some sort. Is there a way I can track which program or whatever is doing it and stop it as it's getting annoying? Cheers, Jeremy. Well, the gist is this. Uh, any program that uses the temporary items folder, now that can either be at the root of your hard drive slash temporary items or in your user folder. I believe it's in, uh, uh, I think it's just in, in temp uh, in your user folder. I believe so, right, John? Did I get that right? No, it's just temporary items. There it is. So you've got it one in your user folder and one in your uh, in your your main folder there, uh, the root of the drive rather. If there's something in there, and and in your user folder, you're going to need to go one level deeper into uh, a folder called the 501, and that's or whatever whatever 500 number you see. It depends on what your user ID is, but for the main machine on the computer, it'll usually be 501. Uh, but if you're if you're having this problem, I wouldn't go deleting things in there summarily. But if you're having this problem where something's simply not leaving, anything that's in these temporary items folders on reboot will be put into this recovered uh, files folder in the trash. This is because these are, as you might guess, places for programs to store temporary items. And if something's wow. if something's left there. It, it usually indicates that a program didn't clean its mess up, so uh, it moves it out there, and, and, and you're good to go. There can be a permissions thing where it may not be able to move the file, and as such, you can have one that's just stuck in a loop. So heading in there and yanking it out would be the uh, – that would be the way to do it. So Bad go. program. Well, or yeah, it well, it could have been it, – it could – yeah, it could almost – it could definitely be a bad program, but it could also be just a <laughs> – uh, you know, if your machine restarted or whatever, you know, if you if it froze yeah. and you had to reboot it without the without properly quitting the app, if you force quit the app, it may or may not, you know, clean that stuff up either. I wouldn't expect that it would. Yeah, I'm looking so. in another place too. Um, slash TMP. I don't know if you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. That's just another. And actually, I see in here a 501 directory with a, a very recent date, and then something CS underscore cache underscore lock underscore 501. Hmm. Yeah. So what's that all about? I'll have to look into that. I'll have to check it what out. What else? John. Oh, I got a chuckle of an email here. What, what, what email did you get, John? <laughs> the one from uh, David Hassel. There you go. <laughs> uh, David Hassel saw the story on the BBC News website. The message he sent along was, has John been on a little vacation recently? And the uh, headline for the article is, phone vigilante slashes car tires. <laughs> More than 20 Hampshire motorists have had their car tires slashed by a mystery mobile phone vigilante, and it's tires, T-Y-R-E-S, because it's uh, from across the pond. Um, and I, I, I read about this story because I keep up with this stuff uh, uh, with a, uh, a fervor. <laughs> <laughs> no, but apparently, yeah, a guy would leave notes on people's windows and, and say, I saw you using your phone, and then he would slash their tires. Now, I certainly don't support that sort of thing. Wow. I, I just give people nasty looks, or maybe, you know... If they're driving the way that they're driving, I, I, I am willing to call 911, you know, as their vehicle turns into, you know, a smoldering heap of uh, wreckage because of their driving habits. Wow. <laughs> but come on, John, tell us how you, you, you seem to be pulling some punches here. I mean, I'm holding back. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know that I like this. We, we got we to gotta do this, you know, you got to commit when you do this show. So uh, what else we got? We got this. Hi, guys. John from Wisconsin. Got a really kind of a peculiar situation. 
Oh, General tell me about it. In a nutshell, trying to do my software updates for OS ten, which is fine, no big deal. However, in May, QuickTime <clears throat> seven point one two. Whenever I would try to do an update on my iBook G four, I would get a it would get up the the total size was fifty one point four megs. And I would get all the way up to 51.3 megs, and I would get a network timeout error, uh, negative 1,000. You know, and the, and I tried this with the airport or connected hardwire directly to the router. However, and that is at home now at work, I, for the solution, which is kind of a weird workaround, but uh, for the solution, I just took the QuickTime app, which updated with no problem at all, Copied over a thumb drive, brought it home, and did the upgrade, you know, copied over and said yes to replace with a newer item, and so on and so forth. Then I did the software update again from, from Mac, and the update went fine. You know, it didn't air out or nothing like that. Um, the installation, you know, went fine. But any other software update, you know, using my iBook G4 went fine. You know, it would be iTunes or... Just your OS ten, you know, software updates went fine, except for QuickTime. All right, I have an idea. Do you have an idea, John? That's whack, man. I it, it is whack, but I have an idea. A go. Uh, running out of space, maybe. But I'm just thinking: is that while it was, it, it was. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking it was not able to do something with a file that it was trying to replace. So whether it was corrupted or locked or, uh, yep. or I don't know, anything else you're thinking of? Well, I, that, uh... Yeah, no, you, you hit it on the head. That's right. It, it's trying to, do, trying to do something with a file. It can't. Because so my... I notice at the end of the software update, it usually has these messages that kind of hint at, you know, cleaning. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of times it'll. Well, it, it, it'll it have runs these... through the optimization step a lot with the software update. <laughs> yes. But my, my, the first thing I would try if he's having this issue is repair permissions. Now, of course, by copying something on top of it, um, he blew away whatever was there. and Which may have fixed the problem. I, well, yeah. it did. Yeah, well, yeah, it fixed that particular problem. That's right. So, but, you know, <laughs> re- repairing permissions, this is one of those things where having. Everything with the right permissions matters. You know, if it, if a file's locked and locked by locked, it means you don't have right access to it. So repairing the permissions may fix that. Uh, you know, it, but that's that's one step. Deleting it. Uh, well, actually, deleting it wouldn't work because it wouldn't know where to put the replacement. So you know, copying the copying one from another machine. That's a that's a very resourceful solution. There uh, kind mm-hmm. of sort of blows away the problem. So we don't know. We don't know what the problem was, but one of my favorite things to say when troubleshooting is, you know, when someone asks why, my favorite answer is, well, if this is the first time it happened, let's just fix it. Let's not worry about why. You know, if it happens again and again, all right, now we'll ask why. But often why is a very difficult question to answer, a very time-consuming question to answer. And if it's a a one-shot deal, well, just take it and run with it. Because sometimes you just don't know. That's right. Yeah, we can pretend. That's right. <laughs> yeah, like we like like we do. Like we do every week here. We just we got the dartboard, and you know, every now and then we uh, we usually get the right. It, believe it or not, we have this big dartboard up with all the answers that we've ever given. 
I don't know right? where you're going with this, man. <laughs> you're on your own. I'm gonna I'm oh, gonna drive gonna and talk, talk on the phone while you're uh, while you're driving down Thanks. that path. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Hey, so uh, go to Portable Media Expo. John and I will certainly be there. Did you book your flights yet, man? I picked out the one I want that I think is the best times and the best price. Uh, well, giddy up. Go ahead and book it. Let's go. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, because I'm not into the 6 a.m. flights, but I found one that... Yeah, I got the same it's thing. It's kind of tight. Leaving, leaving Boston, it's the same thing. Well, I have one in one terminal. It's like warning, short trip. It's like 30 minutes between planes, which does sound kind of... It's tight. Or no, 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Oh, the f- they yeah. say short. You can do 40 that. 40 as long as it's not a huge terminal. like some. Which, which terminal is it? Is it St. Louis? It's St. Louis, I think. Oh, that's not so bad. That's not so bad. That's yeah. an easy one. Yeah. Well, they got a tram or something. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, things got, sound like so they got back to normal. That's Portable Media Expo in uh, in September, of course, at the end of September, last weekend. End of September, September. And Ricky will and be there, too. In, we're going to leave in October. That's right. We'll be com- coming home in October. I don't know if we'll Richardson. do a show there or not, because, frankly, the way airport security is, I don't know if I'm going to bring all the all the stuff. Oh, man. But uh, we'll, well, see. No, they're all, we'll see. We'll see They're do. metal. They haven't prohibited metals yet. They haven't, huh? Okay, that's good. Yeah, and most of your, your gear is metal, so. Uh, yeah, I would I would I would say there's a good healthy dose of metal in, in most of this stuff, so uh, of course Cashfly hosting, as you know, is where you download this. Oh from. yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, if you want to sponsor the show, contact the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. That's the uh, that's the way to do it. I don't think we have anything else, so we're uh, we're out of here for this week, but uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for staying subscribed. And uh, we'll see and, you next and week. And your feedback. And we, we love like your feedback. feedback. It helps improve us, and it helps improve you. You. What? What? <laughs> Mac Geek Gab at MacObserver.com. 206-666-GEEK. Skype to Mac uh, Geek Gab. Thanks. Who let the dogs out? Go, go to iTunes and write some comments. But while you're there, make very, very certain... That you don't get caught. Made on back. What the hell was that?